The Chris Sheeran Show, only on YesNetwork.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the latest and greatest edition of The Chris Sheeran Show. That's hashtag CSS on the Twitter. It's at Chris Sheeran, yes, and at Doug Williams, yes. Bringing you the very last, uh, very latest, sorry, talking too fast there, in New York sports. It's great to be here. Doug, how are you, buddy? I'm mediocre. How are you? That's just about as well as everybody in uh, in New York sports is doing right now. Oh, my gosh. Uh, we won't even bring up the Mets, um, but I guess a good play, a good uh, diving board, a good jumping point is the Giants. Um, you know, they're 0-7, their last seven September games. And over that stretch, their turnover ratio is minus 14. Let's start there, okay? I know I'm jumping right into this. I know there could be a long diatribe and a little open at the top, but I just want to jump right into this stuff because we have so much to talk about in this podcast today. Uh, the Giants, you know... I don't know of any football team on the planet, Canadian Football League, uh, World Football League, anybody that will turn the ball over three times in the fourth quarter and win a game. It's just it's not going to happen. Three turnovers in the fourth quarter. Another bullet point. Victor Cruz, all last week. Give me the ball, give me the ball, give me the ball, give me the ball. Throw, throw to me, throw to me, throw to me, throw to me. Big third nine for the Giants. He drops the ball. Eli couldn't have ran up to him and dropped it over his shoulder more perfectly. He dropped it. Now, you can't get on the defense. The defense bent. They didn't break. They gave up field goals when they could have been given up touchdowns. They were on the field more than the offense was for the second straight week. They actually got to the quarterback, uh, Drew Stanton, who looked like Johnny Unitas (laughs) against the Giants. Uh, Go figure. Uh, some more good news for Big Blue. Walter Thurmond, torn peck, out for the year. It, 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 when it rains, it pours. And, you know, Tom Coughlin's whole mantra before the season started, burn the boats. <laughs> Where are the fire extinguishers right now? <laughs> yeah, can we get those boats back? Oh, my good Lord. You better save one of them, Tom. Uh, I mean, before, let me just get all the bullet points out Do there. It. Then Eli. I saved the best for last. I, I think it's time to get off. Eli's back. Is he an elite quarterback? How many quarterbacks in the history of the NFL can you say were elite? Okay. You want to talk about elite? I have Tom Brady on my fantasy team. Does he look elite? He was. I don't think he's elite anymore. I mean, that whole back and forth, that interview that happened where he was backed into a corner. Look, we talked about this before. When this was the off the wall podcast, we're going back here. But Eli, what, what is he supposed to say in that situation? So he said he was elite. He, he thought he was elite. Whatever. He proved yesterday that when the offensive line patchwork at best gives him time to throw, he could still pick you apart, and he could still make great throws. Now, is Eli still going to make a stupid decision and throw an awful ball that gets picked off? Yes, but. You live with that because of what he can give you. You know, He drives them down the field in the third quarter. He throws that pick in the first half. They're down 10 nothing at halftime. Then he throws the one-yard touchdown pass to Fells. They take the 14-10 lead. And after that happened, I mean, everything bad that could happen to the Giants happened to them. And you're just watching it. And as, as a Giant fan, you sit there and you kind of just say to yourself, eh, I knew that was coming. <laughs> 
<laughs> there's there's no really anger anymore. It, it's impossible to get angry, and that's a problem, Doug. Yeah, and I would say that I mean it was the kind of game where uh, there were a lot of the Giants beating themselves up. That's the majority of what happened. The Giants lost to the Giants. They didn't lose to the Cardinals. People want to bring up the officials too, right? And what's frustrating about it, Chris, is that the Cardinals at home without Carson Palmer, without Darnell Dockett, without John Abraham. This was a game that the Giants had to win. I actually think that you can draw a lot of positives out of the way that they played, especially Eli Manning in the new offense. You said the defense, like you said, bent, did not break. So there were some positives besides the stupidity on certain plays that they had. They looked decent for a lot of the game. But that's ignoring the fact that it was a game that they absolutely had to win. You're playing such an, like, just crushed by injuries Cardinal team at home. It's the opening game of the year, a beautiful day at MetLife Stadium, and they just had to ruin it. And the quarterback hasn't played a down in the oh, NFL no. since 2010. I mean, 2010. And I'm not saying that he beat them because, like I said, the Giants beat themselves. They did. Stanton didn't go out there and torch no. the Giants and beat them no. alone. But it's just like that whole cynical Giant fan the point of view where, really? <laughs> that just happened? He was that good that we didn't win? But it was really what Doug just said. It was the Giants that were that bad. And You can't point – the officials and this whole illegal contact thing – this is going to drive people up a wall all season long. I'm not just talking about Giant fans. I'm talking about fans of every team in, in the damn league. Um, we it's all we crazy. all know the league has plenty of problems off the field. Well, on the field, it's it's not too much better. Uh, though it seemed like an entire Cardinal drive in the third or fourth quarter. I can't really pinpoint it because I have so much going on in the head right now. But it seemed like an entire Cardinal drive was aided and abetted <laughs> by flags. And you can't have that. You can't have that. Now, if it's, a, if it's a penalty, it's a penalty. But this illegal contact thing, and we saw the numbers. Mike Pereira threw them out there right before the season started, how many flags there were compared to years past. And it's up there. And for Giant fans, though, to sit there, and have their team turn the ball over three times in the fourth quarter. Now, the last one was that, you know, Baloney, Eli, his second pick. Uh, there were four seconds left. Right. There's no 10-point touchdown. Uh, they weren't going to win the game. He was basically like, whatever. <laughs> it doesn't help his stats, and it doesn't help the fact that he's throwing an interception in uh, how many straight games. I had the number, and I just lost it. But when it comes down to that, the personal numbers, when you're down by nine and you should have won that game going away at home, your opener for the season, and you know you were 0-6 to start last season, and now you're 0-7 in your last seven September games with that negative 14 turnover ratio, it boggles my mind that special teams, too. You know, you always hear coach speak. I've done my fair share of play-by-play for college football, and you ask a coach in the meetings before the, the game comes around, and, well, we've got to control the line of scrimmage. We can't turn the ball over, and we've got to win the battle of special teams. <laughs> those, are the, those are the three keys. Every coach, every week. Special teams is so bad over these first two games for the Giants. You cannot go out there, give up a punt return, and then fumble the ensuing kickoff. I mean, that's about as bad as it gets. It really is. The Giants just look god-awful in that fourth quarter. Yeah, and, um, you know, 
Eli, what's so frustrating is for the Giants fans, Eli really, you know, distributed the ball very well. He made a lot of really good plays, especially on the run. Larry mm-hmm. Donnell, um, their tight end, was a guy that coming into camp, we did not expect to be able to catch the football, and yet he's been their best receiver by far. He made Reuben Randall look spectacular on certain plays. I mean, Reuben Randall has proven that he's a, a highlight-capable receiver, but and it's so frustrating that given all of that, given the way that Eli Manning was able to distribute the ball, that Victor Cruz couldn't catch the ball when thrown to because he's being paid like a number one wide receiver, Chris. And basically what we've seen from him is that he's a slot receiver. You need a bigger number one guy. Keem Nix played that role for a while. Now I guess Ruben Randall's playing the role without Odell Beckham or any other options there. It's just so frustrating. The one guy you feel like you're supposed to rely on um, just can't catch the football. Now, look, I know Jerry Rice, uh, Jerry Rice, Jerry Reese uh, went out there and he helped out the offensive line. You can't do anything about injuries, and Jeff Schwartz is, is out, I guess, until week six with, with a foot injury. Uh, he brought him in from Kansas City. So he, he thought he addressed the offensive line. I, I don't see how you can't take a draft pick, your number one draft pick, your first-round draft pick, and go after an offensive lineman. And... It just boggles my mind. If Eli doesn't have the time, even if you bring, even if Odell Beckham is healthy, how's he getting them the ball? How is he getting them the damn ball? They have to fit. It, it's all about the trenches, man. It's the D line. It's the O line. The, the D line showed a heartbeat yesterday. I think they had four sacks. Yeah, they played well. Yeah, they're getting pressure on the quarterback. I think over the first two games, even though Detroit put up 35 points, I, I still think the defense played well enough for the Giants to, to, put, to keep the offense in it. I, I think they did, even that Monday night game. Call me crazy, but I think they did. The problem isn't, and I saw some, look, it, it's very hard to bring in a brand new offensive coordinator with a brand new system and brand new schemes when you have you know, a patchwork offensive line. Putting those two things together is a, is a perfect storm of failure. It really is. It's Clooney and Wahlberg on that boat, and it's being flipped upside down before they can get, you know, the fish home. That Basically, that's what it is. Now, you might call me crazy, but I think it's going to get better. I do. I, I saw some signs of, hey, the offense was clicking. When the line did give Eli time to throw, he was finding his receivers. Now the receivers just have to catch the damn ball. I did see signs yesterday. And it's not looking through, you know, rose-colored Giants glasses. I, I really did see signs that there could be improvements with this team. And sometimes I'm gullible and I listen to the post game and I hear JPP say, trust me, it's going to turn around. I can't help but think it's going to. You know, there's, a, there's an amount of pride that goes into this. And, and you call it silly, but Giants pride. You know, people who put on that uniform, you talk about putting on the Yankee pinstripes all the time. Putting on that giant uniform, like last year, they start out 0-6, then they went seven of the last ten games. You know, these guys are pros. Coughlin said it in his press conference. We're all men in here. We're responsible. We're not pointing the finger at anybody but ourselves. I get that. But as fans... Enough of the coach speak. Enough of the excuses. Just go out and win a damn game. And it's got to start with Houston next week. Because if they lose to the Texans at home next week, you know, if Ryan Fitzpatrick comes in there and looks like Johnny Unitas, then it's going to be in their heads. 0-6 last year, 0-3 this year if it happens. And that is not good. It has to start next week. They have to beat 
the Texans at home, then they have to go down to Washington and take care of the Redskins. Can they? Can they be 2-2 two and two after the next two games? Absolutely. Will they is the question. I don't know. If they don't start turning around this week, it's going to be an ugly year like last year. Yeah, and one more thing. I'm sure we want to talk about the Jets as we oh, we're getting probably there. every week <laughs> for the rest of the season the way the Jets are. But it is probably frustrating if you are Jerry Reese because two of your biggest acquisitions from the offseason right now have paid little to no dividends. And and Walter Thurman, obviously not his own fault, and nobody's Holiday. fault. And Trenton Holiday's already out for the year. Walter Thurman's out for the year. So that's null. You know, it's just pointless. And then Odell Beckham is your first-round pick. And like you said, it was very, very controversial that they went and got a talent-wide receiver guy over the offensive line. And I've said it before, you know, the big guys are the guys that win games for you. They're the heart of your team, the defensive line and the offensive line. And those probably are the two biggest question marks for the Giants. Um, But if Odell Beckham can't contribute, I don't know what his deal is. I know the beat writers for the Giants, you know, rag on him all the time because it just seems like he doesn't have any incentive to get back on the field. He's running at 75% in practices. But if he can't contribute... That is a gaping hole in this Giants team. A first-round pick that they had that they needed to help them right away that couldn't. Which so, screams to me it should have been an offensive lineman. Right, I'm because sorry. those guys can help right away. Right. They just stay on the field. I, 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 that I didn't get at all. Um, you know, right now and the past two seasons, it really stinks being a Giant fan. But at least you have two Super Bowls over the past seven, eight years. Jet fans haven't seen that trophy since 1969. And, you know, I don't want to put the entire season on one game. You can't do that. I know, look, I'm not going to sit here and tell a Jet fan to not be pessimistic after what happened yesterday. And I don't mean to laugh because I do have a lot of friends that are Jet fans. And I feel I genuinely do. And family members. And I feel bad for them. I do. It's genuine. Like back when you're in high school, you rib them and you really don't care. But now that you get older, you're like, you know, we might die soon. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, I hope man. they win. <laughs> I, you know, just once for them. So that's the kind of tact I take. But, you know, I, I think Gino was a game manager yesterday. I do. And I, I think he looked okay. I, I, he had his issues in week one against the Raiders. But you're talking about a guy that went into Lambeau Field yesterday and was a boss. I think he really was a boss. I think that is a huge, big-time positive for the Jets with Geno handling the offense the way he did. And that, and we'll get to it in a second. I know the timeout thing. I'm burying the lead, but we'll get it to it in a second. Uh, Rex Ryan's defense had a great first half until you know the first Randall Cobb touchdown, which helped my fantasy team, so I'm not going to get upset about that. You know, A 21-3 lead became 21-16. Quick. Uh, and then the the Packers ended up putting up 31 points, you know. And Jordy Nelson, <laughs> you have to invent another word other than torch. He's a monster. Oh my good! And not just the amount of catches, but did you see and the yards? But did you see the types of catches he was making and almost made? It's amazing how he can combine a button hook, just stopping right away like a possession receiver, while also going deep and torching whatever cornerback, oh whether it was D. Millen or whoever just, who he, they tried to cover. He makes guys look silly. I mean, it was unbelievable. I think it was nine catches for 204 yards and the one touchdown and, and the 180 yarder. But the, the focus of this game and... <laughs> You know, I, I, I was driving here to work, so I had it on in the car. 
and I'm listening to the Green Bay station on, on Sirius XM. And, you know, it's fourth and four. The Packers just took the lead. And I'm just like, you know what? I, I don't even know why I'm listening because the Jets are just going to, you know, Geno Smith's going to roll out, throw a pick, or something bad's going to happen. Here's the snap. Smith out of the shotgun. Drops back. Looks to his left. Into the end zone. Curly has it for a touchdown. Oh, my goodness. Wait a minute. (laughs) And I was like, at first, my first thought was like, oh, wow. Interesting. And then all of a sudden, the Jets called a timeout before the play. And I just, I couldn't help but laugh. Like just a big belly laugh came out because what else would it be? What else would it be? And I and I figured Twitter was gonna spontaneously combust <laughs> with the Jet fans on there, but it didn't. Thankfully, uh, I mean, geez, it, you saw Marty Morningwig running down. I I can guarantee he was screaming at Rex, "Call timeout! Call timeout! Call timeout!" Rex doesn't even look at him, and I picked it up. From Twitter, Sheldon Richardson, the defensive lineman who helped get Mo Wilkerson kick out of the game earlier, he sees Morningwig running down the field, and you could see him lean into the official and say, time out, time out, time out. Heard Pereira yesterday. Now, the rule states the only one that is allowed to call a timeout from the sidelines is the head coach. But in that situation, right before a snap, History has shown with that rule, we will grant timeout if we hear it because we don't have time to turn around to see who's calling it. So that's why the timeout was granted. The official heard, I guess he heard uh, Morningwig first, and then he heard uh, Sheldon Richardson second, gave the Jets the timeout. And you could see just the utter disgust. Like Curly spikes the ball and then immediately puts his hands in the air and takes his like takes the chin straps off his helmet. I mean, I, I, I've seen a lot of gut-wrenching jet faux pas over my time. But because of the way they played, because of how they were playing all game at Lambeau. Now, look, the Packers came back and dominated from that first Cobb touchdown through the Jordy Nelson touchdown to put them on top 31-24. But the Jets, knowing that they still had a shot to tie this game on that play... I mean, my goodness, at Lambeau, you could have stole a win at Lambeau. Now, look, if they tie it up on that play and win by a field goal, who cares they were up 21-3? And I'm sure Jet fans would have had issues with it. But at the same time, you're getting out of there 2-0. and You right. just beat it's Aaron Rodgers. It doesn't matter how you beat him. Just you come over with a W. But this loss. I, oh, my gosh. It's just deadly. I, again, I'm not saying this is ruining, going to ruin the Jets' season, but a loss like that with a – with a faux pas like that, that's tough to take. And you know Eric Decker was probably on the sidelines being like, oh, so this is what it's going to be like. This is what I signed into. <laughs> yeah. And it's just unbelievable, Chris. I mean, oh, I've said this boy. before, but I on- there are times where I honestly think that the Jets are like the Harlem Globetrotters in that they are here for our entertainment and that somehow the New York mainstream media collectively got together like 20 years ago and said – Let's let's pay the, for this franchise to give us something to talk about all week for the entirety of the football season. Because it's almost as if everything about them 
just screams out entertainment. We want we want, we want talking points. We want quarterback battles. We want coach on the hot seat. We want just plays that make absolutely no sense. Marty Morningweg, the whole game was just a disaster. And you know what's sad is that you're right. Gino went in there. He looked great. He and that's, did. And it's never been the problem so about Gino. So answer me this. Confidence. Why is Michael Vick in the game? Why is there a Michael Vick package? Uh, to just, me, when, just when to Gino's somehow, because it's the Jets, Chris. They, oh. they, why would they ever? Why would they ever do something should that, that would up, be level-headed? Should we should we bring up the popular word on Twitter? Jetsing. It, it's perfect. Jetsing is perfect. It's the perfect way to put it. <laughs> why everyone's saying Jets just need to use Michael Vick as a backup? Don't even put him in the game That's because it. it never works. That's it. And they're like, you know what? We'll do it. We don't name our starting quarterbacks because that's the way we do things here. Oh, my goodness. It's ridiculous. And to Gino, who, to me, over two games – now, look, the Raider game, he was up and down, and, and he had his faults here and there, and I, I'd be the first one to admit that. But I think he looked really – he managed the offense. He wasn't like – he wasn't an Aaron Rodgers. He wasn't a Drew Brees. But he did what he was supposed to do. You know, he managed the game. He took the offense down. He put the Jets in a position to win. He and, did. And that's never, with Gino, it's never really been about his presence in the huddle or, you know, his leadership capabilities. That's always been impressive. But he's just so uh, inconsistent at times that we kind of doubt his ability to be a, a, a genuine number one quarterback. But you know what he used really well was his athleticism. I thought he uh, kind of used his, um, you know, running out of the pocket. He ran for a few first downs. I thought he was genuinely good, and the Jets did not look like the Jets in the first half, meaning that that's a good thing. They look like a totally different team. I saw a few tweets. People were like, is that the Jets I'm watching? Cause <laughs> it does not look like the Jets because they were tearing the Packers apart in Lambeau, and they would have been so lucky to get that victory, but it would have been a victory. It wouldn't have been pretty. Uh, but, again, 2-0, coming off a win in Lambeau, uh, which loss do you think? I'll ask you this. Which loss do you think is more devastating, the Giants' loss or the Jets' loss? Even though the Jets are one and one, you know what? I think it's the Jets. Um, I would agree with you. I, I just think to have it in the back of your minds, and I know football players and coaches will tell you, we just move on, we go to the next game. No, they don't. Th- this one is going to be in their minds all season long, all season long. Now, here, Geno Smith. These are pedestrians. 16 to 32. He had a pick and a TD, and he threw for 176 yards. Uh, Michael Vick gets in the game and gets sacked. I heard it on the radio. I don't, I don't know what it was. I was driving in here, like I said, and I'm just sitting there going, why is he in the game? Why? Because Tim, T- Tim Tebow worked. But, but that, the, that whole experiment worked out for the no, Jets. No, your one sentence there summed it up perfectly. It's the Jets, Chris. That's all you needed to say. Seriously, that's all you needed to say. All right, let's move on. I don't want to beat up the Jets too much because, like I said, it, it, it's only one game. But I do think that that loss, as Doug just asked me, is bigger than the Giants' loss. But if the Giants drop to 0-3, hey, Giant fans, uh, this will be the last year you're going to see uh, Coughlining on the sidelines uh, with the hands on the hips and the expression. I love Tom Coughlin. I do. I, I think he's a great coach. Um, but sometimes you just need a change. And I'm not saying it has to happen now, but you, you, you always hear coaches say in the NFL and in leagues all across, uh, you get hired to get fired. You know, unless you're Ron Gardenhire, <laughs> you know, you're pretty much going to get fired in a couple of years. Uh, or so, they'll come to some mutual. Yeah, right. Because he's an older guy. He's the oldest coach in the NFL. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, I mean, again, I want to stress that I, I love Tom Coughlin. So do I. Two Super Bowl championships and, you know, I, I just think he's a good human being too. We heard uh, during the broadcast Kevin Burkhart um, and his partner, the John Lynch, uh, you know, the team building before the season was he took the team to the 9-11 Museum. I mean, he's just – He's a good football coach, and on top of that, he's a good human being. So uh, I, I'm proud of the fact that that guy's on the sideline coaching my team. Having said that, on the opposite end of this spectrum, <laughs> see, I'm the king of segways just because I know what you're about to do. I had to jump in there. I'm the king of segways. Talking no, about such a good guy. Fine. This you is know. a this is a tag team here. Um, so we go from Tom Coughlin. <laughs> To Jonathan Papelbon. But, you know, we have to add Cowboy Joe West to this mix, too. We do. Now, what Papelbon did in the game against the Marlins, the Phillies had a 4-1 lead. He came in, top of the ninth, gave up four runs. Four runs. As he's walking off the field, he looks at the crowd who was booing him. You know Philly. Spreads his legs. Didn't just grab his crotchal area. Spread his legs. He made a pivot. <laughs> Pivoted. Then did it. So he put a little thought into this. Uh, you could tell, like if you watch this over and over and over again like I did, and it, you could only see it from, the, from behind him. But you could tell as he's walking, he's thinking of a way to do it. And not only do it, but add a little office space flair to it. <laughs> and oh boy, did he. So now Country Joe, who's the crew chief, he's out at second base decides to walk all the way in and look into the dugout to throw him out of the game. So here's the thing. Is Papelbon a clown? Yes. Has he done stuff like this before? Is he, you know, is he a nitwit on the field and off the field in the clubhouse with reporters sometimes? Absolutely. But there's been more than one occasion that Joe West has made himself the story. This guy has two all-star game appearances as an umpire, seven division series, eight league championship series, and five world series under his belt. He is the most tenured umpire in Major League Baseball. He, now, this is why I think he thinks it's okay to make himself the story sometimes. First of all, umpires wear numbers. I have no idea why umpires think they have to wear numbers. If you didn't know, Joe West is number 22 in your program. He's number one in your heart. He was first in his class at Umpire Developmental School back in 1974. So he was the valedictorian of umpires 40 years ago when he was in Umpire Developmental School. So that's one of the reasons I think, because you know he's out and he's chilling out having a beer saying, you know, I was valedictorian of my umpire class. I think he, he may have picked up some, some women doing that, by the way. And guess what? Elon grad, by the way. I, I did not know that. Joe West. They create great umpires. So apparently. Doug Williams and Joe West. Elon College. Baby. Icebreaker if I ever get to meet yeah, him. Yeah, there you go. But continue. He's a singer-songwriter. Okay. He's the most interesting man in the world. He plays in the celebrity pro-ams in golf. So, you know, if he's playing with celebrities on the golf course, he's got a number. He's a singer, a very accomplished singer-songwriter. I'm not joking. He's accomplished singer-songwriter in the off-season, even during the season. He's put out an album. I, it, it, I think they're both at fault here. I do. First of all, should Papelbon have been thrown out for what he did? Yeah. But 
Wes could have pointed in the dugout from second base and said, you're gone. He made it a point to go all the way to the dugout. Then, when Pavlon came out to protest, he grabs him by the jersey and pushes him away. Now, Papelbon could have stepped back and decked this guy, but he knows he won't do it. See, these umpires, some of them, not saying all of them, but officials in every sport, some of them think they're bigger than the, the athletes. They're not. People are not paying to see you. Now, look, he has to police this, and you know, I, I guarantee you, if Bud Selig saw that and nothing was done, West, as the crew chief, probably would have taken some flack. Right. He would have. So by throwing him out, I don't have a problem with him throwing him out of the game. He should have been thrown out of the game. But just the way he did it, I, I don't know what your thoughts no, are. No, I but. mean, without the athletes, the umpires don't have jobs. And their jobs are predicated on the athletes. The umpires aren't the bosses of the players. It's not how it works. They just happen to govern the rules and make sure it's not mayhem out there. In this situation, Chris... We've seen this twice this year. Do you remember Joe Nathan doing uh, a few weeks ago? He gave an fu gesture to the crowd in Detroit that booed him. After Joe Nathan got a save, he gave this fu gesture to the crowd. And Jonathan Papelbon does that to his fans. Both pitchers are closers, struggling, and pitching at home. The simple message here, and I agree with you that umpires get in the way too much, but the, the issue that I have here is do your job. And you won't get booed. If you get yeah. booed, most players in sports will say, I deserve that. I'm not giving the fans what they deserve. I should get booed. Well, here's the thing. And you're 1,000% right. These people are paying money to see you. Yeah. And pay, they're, they're paying your salary to see you succeed. Now, listen. <laughs> you're in Philadelphia. <laughs> The, the place booed Santa Claus. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they boo everybody. And I know I, I bring that up and it's weak because everybody knows that and everybody goes to that immediately. But you got to know your surroundings. Now, I remember Jack McDowell came off the mound for the Yankees and gave the fans in the Bronx the old one-finger salute. And they got all over him. Look, you got to realize as a professional athlete who's making millions and millions of dollars, if you fail and fail miserably – on a team that's failing miserably, especially... Now, he's only had four blown saves this year. I think he has 37 saves. Oh, he's he, been good. He hasn't done a bad job. He's had kind of a renaissance, actually. But when he's walking off the field, like in that situation, I can't put myself... Maybe he had a bad day. He has to control himself. I'm not condoning no, I, this yeah. in any way. But you know what? Just in, if it was me... I don't know if I would have done what he did, but maybe I would have been laughing sarcastically as I walked off the field, like, oh, great, I need this now, too. You know, or put your glove over your face and just say something. You know, you and, can do whatever you want. And let it speak for itself. But getting booed after one blowed save, like David Robertson did earlier this year in the Bronx, the stupidity speaks for itself. Yeah. Like, the, uh, leave it to the, the play by play guy to say, well, they're booing him. He has four blown saves all year and 37 saves. This isn't right. Let it. Let the situation speak for itself. Don't give the finger. Don't adjust yourself. And the thing about Jonathan Papelbon, this has never been a good marriage between him and Philadelphia. He's been given every opportunity to be, to be traded, but his ego is too big, and he says, I won't set up for anybody. And I understand wanting to be a closer, if that's what you really want to do. But either learn to just handle yourself well in a city that is incredible, has a terrible reputation with its fans and the way that it treats their players, or... Move forward. Yeah. Beat the closer on another team. Get mm -hmm. the job. Take the job from them, mm -hmm. you know? 
Uh, you know, it's like we had a pre-show meeting, but you brought up David Robertson. We did have a pre-show meeting, by the way. It was quick. It was Brief. about 30 yeah. seconds, but we did. Um, but you brought up David Robertson. And, you know, when the Yankees can't afford to lose uh, ever again in their last 15 games going into last night, and now it's 14 games, no more days off for the Yankees unless Mother Nature uh, decides to come in. But not over the next seven games because they have uh, the Rays. I think the Jays is home. I, I beg your pardon. But the Rays are on the road, then they come home for the Jays. Um, but David Robertson, with a 2-1 lead down in Baltimore in the in the finale of a four-game set against the Orioles, you know, Brian McCann gets you a home run off a uh, sidewinding Darren O'Day. And you go out there, you give up a leadoff double to uh, Nelson Cruz, and then a double right next to the next batter in Steve Pierce, former Yankee, by the way. The game is tied. Quentin Berry comes around to score. And then you get an out. And then Kelly Johnson, of all people, who the Yankees DFA'd earlier this season, uh, went to the Red, or traded. I'm sorry, traded. I misspoke. Traded to the Red Sox this season. Uh, he was part of the Stephen Drew. And now he's, they DFA'd him. And now he's with the Orioles. They picked him up. And he hits a rocket into the gap. Now, look. When Mariano – Robertson only has blown four this year too. He's had a great year. But as I told you downstairs before we came up here, you know, if you blow a save in May, okay. You can't blow a save on September 14th when all three teams in front of you have lost and you could get a little closer in the American League wildcard race. But here's the difference between David Robertson and Jonathan Papelbon. Now, they were in Baltimore – so there weren't a lot of fans booing when the Orioles won. But Robertson walked off the field dejected. Meredith Morakovic's first question, can you just tell us what happened? I sucked. I sucked. I went out there. I left the ball up to two hitters that destroy the ball when it's left up. It's all on me. Now, you could say, well, that's fine, but you should have saved the game. But at least the guy stands there in front of the reporters Answers all the questions. Phil Hughes used to do the same thing. When he got mm-hmm. shelled, he was out of the shower by his locker room ready to go. And he sat there until every question was asked. I, that's a professional. You know, that's the way you expect your players to act. As far as the Yankees go, I mean, I know you want to hold out some hope. But they're five back with 14 to play and they have to leapfrog three teams. Do the math. I mean, I... I Communications majors did not do well in math in college. Even I could figure it out. They're not going to be playing in October. They're not. And, you know, now you start the Jeter countdown for real. 14 more games. Eight more at home. You have eight more times, unless you're lucky enough to have tickets to Fenway over that last weekend. You have eight more times to see Derek Jeter play at Yankee Stadium. Think about that. Take your kids to the game. Buy tickets, take your kids to the game, and show them. Show them this guy as he walks out, trots out to, uh, he doesn't walk. He runs all the time. Because you have that role model going out there to shortstop. You have had him for the past 19, 20 years for the Yankees. And next year, that's done. Gone. Over. It's sad. Absolutely sad that it has to end this way. And you know, Doug, on, on extra innings, after that last Baltimore game I hosted. And I was sitting in my office and I was thinking about Kuroda because he was pitching a hell of a game again. I said, you know, he really went to sleep 
last year over this stretch. He was 0-6. Mm-hmm. His ERA was over 7, I believe, uh, maybe even close to 8. Since he, his last win was August 12th, 2013, and 0-6 in like 8 or 10 starts after that. So I said, you know what, let me, he's been pitching well lately. Let me see over that same stretch this year how he's doing. So we broke it down. His record in 2013 was 0-4 from August 17th through September 13th. His ERA was 669. His batting average against was 325. Up to that point in the season, he threw 189 innings. After last night's start, Kuroda, 3-1 and one over the same stretch. His ERA, 229. And his batting average against, 228. Or his ERA, excuse me, is 292. And the batting average against was 228. So an ERA under three. And his innings pitched, 185. He's thrown four less innings from last year because everybody said it was the workload. And he did work a lot last year, especially earlier in the season. And they did give him extra breaks this year. But same amount of innings. I don't care the breaks. Same amount of innings. And those are the numbers. So my question is to you, and it's it com- it's completely reliant upon him coming back next year. I didn't have anybody at the desk last night to ask this to, so I'm asking your opinion now. Should have hung around. Yeah, you should have. I would have. I would have called you up. Doug Williams on the phone. <laughs> um, but my question is, if Corota wants to come back, now look, you could do a lot worse for a four or five starter. And I texted Jack Curry today, and I asked, you know, I, I gave him all the numbers, and, and he brought up a great point. He's like, yeah, you could bring him back as a four or five starter, but you can't invest fourteen or fifteen million dollars in him, and that's the thing. You know, is he going to come back for less than that? Yeah. But you know, my thing is, judged on the numbers, he turns forty, but the guy's still serviceable. And wouldn't you rather have a five starter or a four starter? That is a veteran like Kuroda, if he still wants to pitch, rather than trying to scrounge somebody else up. Here's my question. Would you rather David Phelps or Hiroki Kuroda as your fifth starter? Uh, I would definitely rather have Hiroki Kuroda. And and if we've learned anything this year, Chris, it's that you can never have enough pitching. The Yankees have actually really come up with a lot of depth, more depth than we thought. But let's count the starting pitchers that they'll already have. I mean, assuming C.C. Sabathia and Ivan Nova come back from injury, uh, Masahiro Tanaka comes back from injury, that's a big assumption. Shane but that's Green. three guys. you got Shane Green, you got David Phelps, you got Michael Pineda, you got Brandon McCarthy. So technically, they do have a long list of starting pitchers. That's the only reason why I would say it's probably a long shot that they go get Hiroki Kuroda. But after last night, Chris, um, I really I will say that I think Brian Cashman, assuming that he keeps his job, which it sounds like he will, I think he's going to do everything he can. and I, Not that he didn't last offseason, right. but he will do everything he can. Because last night, I, I'm imagining him, if I were him, I would have thrown a chair through a window. Because it represented everything, everything that's gone wrong. Kelly Johnson, a guy that you brought in to be a big part of your team, bring in Steven Drews at 130. And Kelly Johnson, it's the game-winning hit. It was the last uh, battling cry for the, for the Yankees. And Kelly Johnson gets the game-winning hit. Um, and I apologize with that DFA trade thing. I just couldn't remember. Uh, but it, it really is just – it's disheartening. So will Brian Cashman just stockpile starting pitchers so that the same thing doesn't happen again? Will he make drastic changes in the lineup? All of this is yet to be seen. 
But look, I'll be honest with you. I'm with you. I know it's not technically probably the right decision to bring Hiroki Kuroda back, especially for the money that he would he would be right. uh, Command, yeah. commanding. But what? Who? Who are we to say that Ivan Nova will come back strong? Who are we to say that CC Sabathia will ever pitch again? What about Brandon McCarthy. Yeah, I mean he's had a great time here with the Yankees, but you know, you got to look at the beginning of the season too. Tanaka has a tear in his elbow, and we're just all living life like nothing's happened. But there's a tear there. And, so, and once again, since he's been a Yankee, with the exception of that stretch at the end of last year, who's been the most consistent Yankee starter over the last three years? And he gets so little run support. Hiroki Kuroda. Thank you. He's never gotten good run support. His record's usually right around 500, but he's as good as it gets in terms of a middle-of-the-rotation guy and it's, a consistent level. It's such a shame because if the guy had any offense whatsoever, I'm not saying Cy Young numbers, but his record wouldn't be at 500 every season. And you look at his time on the Dodgers, same thing. He, he he has a lower ERA in the AL than he did in the NL. Figure that one out, by the way. He may, if you were him, Chris. In the AL East. If you, I know. If you were him, would you, I mean, last year we thought he was going to retire. It was not a sure thing. He was coming back to, right. to the pros, right. to America. We thought he was going to go home. And he came back for a good amount of money. But if you were him. Wouldn't you just be beaten to death? Oh, You've yeah. thrown so oh, many yeah. innings. You're 40 years old. You're not getting any run support or you know any help in the win-loss column. I, I feel like he's going to be dejected, and I, he's just going to call it quits. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't uh, hold it against him if he was just like, yeah, I've had enough. I'm done. Uh, but same time, I'm watching him last night. I, I, I researched the numbers last night, and I'm just like, I, and I know they have a surplus of starters, as you just mentioned. But I don't know how you can't even... I don't know how you could just say, nah, we don't need him. You have to at least entertain it. You have to throw the bait out there. And if he doesn't want to pitch, so be it. I mean, he's done enough, especially for the Yankees over the past three years, like I said. Um, it's just going to be interesting next year. And, and Yankee fans, that's what you got to start thinking of next year. Enjoy Derek Jeter riding off into the sunset uh, with Grace Kelly. Um, <laughs> I tried a diehard joke and I miserably failed there because um, Gruber got the name. Ah, never mind. Just move on, Chris. It's fine. If you made it this far, I hope you didn't. That way you didn't even see that. I saw. Oh, come on. This is no, good stuff. Don't sell yourself short. It's terrible. You should still be listening. And if Charles you're not, Barkley, you should be ashamed of yourself. Charles Barkley, your, your thoughts? Terrible. Thank you very much. Uh, let's move on. Um, but anyway, that's so weird. He just popped in studio right, right when you needed him. <laughs> I, I don't know even know what what is Barkley yeah. doing here. You know, Bill Cosby could step in every once in a while. You know, the Jets need to call timeout. Like I need another Jello pudding. Mm, yeah, you know, so that was great. Back to my stand-up days. I'll probably get in trouble for that one. But anyway, hope you enjoyed listening to the off the off the wall. Oh, God, I'm dating myself now. Okay, let's try that again. Take two. That's what happens when you have five hours of sleep over the weekend. Uh, from working. Uh, working, yeah. I'm 41. I don't do the clubs anymore. I don't think I ever did the clubs. Did you? I'm not a club guy. No. no I never did the clubs. did an 80s club. Acid wash jeans. And by the way, I, let, me, let me just end it on this. The only person on the planet that can get away with an acid wash jeans sport jacket is Brandon Marshall. I, I didn't even I didn't even see that. Google it. I don't know if you saw his press conference after the game last night, but 
Wow. I, Jay Cutler's hair strategy is bold. It's just I mess can't it up comment. as much as possible. I, I, I can't comment on hair, but as far as the acid wash jeans sport jacket, bravo, Brandon Marshall. Bravo. For Doug Williams, I'm Chris Sheeran. We'll see you next time on The Chris Sheeran Show here on YesNetwork.com. And don't forget, you can download it on iTunes for free.